Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Oregon state-run prisons have had some of the worst workplace outbreaks during the pandemic. Now, as the clock ticks toward a key deadline where prison staff must be vaccinated, a large number of workers are not. The state's top prison official is saying those people may lose their jobs. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with You Oregonian. Before we start, a quick thank you to our sponsor, Pacific Source Health Plans, for supporting the show. Up next, criminal justice reporter Noel Crombie is back to discuss the latest saga occurring at correctional institutions across Oregon. We talked about what correctional leaders are saying, why they are holding firm, and what this stare down with unvaccinated union workers may mean for incarcerated people. Here's our conversation. Noel Crombie, thanks for coming back on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. So today is a key deadline for thousands of state workers to be vaccinated against COVID-19, but one of the most hard hit, for lack of a better descriptor, industry is once again back in the spotlight through your reporting. What's the situation at the Oregon Corrections Division? Yeah, uh, I think it's important to note at the at the outset here that these numbers are are going to be they're they're fluid, they're changing um, as as people uh, uh, you know enter their information into the state system. Um, but uh, as of now, uh, we we know that about half of Oregon's Department of Corrections employees are fully vaccinated against COVID. Um, that's what that's the 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 rate we we got from the department um as of midweek and you you know had an interview with the uh, director of the of the corrections division and what what did she have to say about that you know i would say she's she was pretty firm about the deadline that's approaching and she was also clearly alarmed by the prospect of uh, th- of this situation compounding their existing staffing shortages. Um, you know, I think her message was really clear uh, that the mandate is the law and she intends to follow the law. I did ask her if she planned to perhaps ask the governor for some kind of exception given the essential nature of her agency. And she said no, that um, that she planned to enforce it uh, as of you know, midnight on Monday. Uh, that said, I, I think it's, it's pretty sobering to consider just the sheer number of people who do not meet the requirements and what the implications of that are for the agency. Yeah, and she, uh, to remind listeners, is Colette Peters, uh, who who heads the division. Um, You know, this didn't come out of nowhere, right? I mean, we've had vaccines since December 2020, and they've obviously rolled out over time to the general public. And we're talking in mid-October of 2021, and the mandate, you know, came down weeks ago. What, What did Colette have to say, if anything, about why the workforce is in this position? 
Yeah. Um, and I, I think I just want to note, too, that we're talking about as many as 1,500 workers in an agency that employs about 4,500 people. It's a yeah. significant uh, number of workers. And most of those people are in uh, what's known as the security um, staff. They are uh, corrections officers. You know, they're they're yeah. the round the clock workers. Um Colette Peters said that, um, you know, look, some people have procrastinated. Some people were unaware of, you know, sort of what the deadline was about. Was was that could they begin getting the shots at that date or did they have to be you know, completed by that date? So there was some confusion there. Um, I heard from some corrections officers who said, you know, they had some trouble entering the information into the HR system, although the department itself said that those problems were pretty minimal. Uh, you know, Ms. Peters said that um, she herself has done some outreach um, and, and so have other members of the you know, executive leadership of the agency. They, they're talking to people one on one. They are trying to get encourage people to comply. And what she has heard is, is sort of a range of things. Uh, you know, some people have cited what she described as you know, truly held religious beliefs. She's cited one conversation with a, a new mother who had concerns about uh, the vaccine and on her status as a nursing mother. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Peter said she encouraged people to, uh, you know, look at the, um, uh, talk to their, their, their physicians, look at the information provided by the Oregon Health Authority, um, and ultimately to comply with this, with this order. She also pointed out, and I think this is an, an important point when we talk about the Department of Corrections, uh, you know, the, the department has one of the, among the lowest vaccination or compliance rates of state agencies. When I asked uh, Peters about that um, sort of dubious status, she, you know, mentioned that, look, we're a statewide agency. We have a lot of employees uh, on the eastern side of the state. Um, and for many workers, uh, the vaccine comes down to a political issue. Um, and you're going to see that perhaps more with her agency than others, where the workforce may be more uh, based in the Willamette Valley. Yeah, they might be, you know, in the capital, um, you know, in Salem versus uh, out in, you know, Ontario or Pendleton or, you know, uh, other parts of the state. That's right. Um, so maybe this is a good time to remind listeners uh, um, about just kind of how the pandemic has affected both the workforce, but especially the the people incarcerated in in, um, in prisons. I mean, why? What has it been like, uh, just in broad strokes? Um, you know, during the last nineteen months or what have you. Yeah, the state's prison system has been significantly impacted by this pandemic. According to the latest uh, stats from the, the state, uh, they've had uh, an estimated 3,700 positive cases among people who are incarcerated. Uh, they've seen 44 of those individuals uh, die of uh, after testing positive uh, for mm -hmm. the virus uh, among staff. They've had 1,100 confirmed cases and uh, three deaths of employees. Um, uh, many of Oregon's prisons are old. They're not built with a pandemic or public health in mind. Um, they're these are people who are living in close quarters, often unable to uh, physically distance themselves or you know, eat apart or uh, have recreation apart. They are ripe environments for the spread of a highly contagious disease. Yeah. And, and if we go back to, you know, in the early parts of the pandemic in, you know, May or June of 2020, when we're tracking workplace outbreaks, uh, 
correctional institutions were frequently at the top of that list. Yeah. I mean, it's fair to say that the pandemic swept through uh, several of these institutions. Can you describe a little bit more the um, workplace challenges? You know, that's obviously affecting the broader economy um, and workplaces, um, you know, not just the corrections division, but what what kind of challenges um, has the division faced in terms of uh, staffing? Yeah, I mean, for as long as I've covered the agency, it's dealt with chronic staffing shortages. Um, and I asked them for their their latest uh, you know, overtime averages. And they, you know, this year, uh, they have a monthly overtime average expenditure of about $2 million. That's in man- what they call mandatory and voluntary overtime. Mm-hmm. Um, these are stressful jobs. Uh, working in in prisons for you know obvious reasons. There's high turnover. There's a lot of health concerns associated with um, working in prisons. Um, and I think you know it's it's been difficult to both hire and retain uh, that workforce. And and I think that was the point that the um, that the agency director made yesterday that this is uh, kind of deepening a you know, sort of a pre-existing crisis of trying to staff these places, because at the end of the day, you know, prisons provide an essential service. They must be staffed. Um, People must be, you know, kept safe in these buildings. And Mm -hmm. um, this next week is going to be a difficult period as the agency confronts what appears to be a significant lack of compliance among its employees. So let's talk about the the people who are incarcerated who, you know, are... um you know, really uh, have to um, depend on on these workers uh, for access around the facilities, right? I mean, what would it mean for uh, people who are incarcerated if, you know, 1,500 of these workers are are fired or, you know, put on administrative leave across the state? Yeah, I mean, I I think that's, it's sort of an unknown at this point. When I asked about that in our conversation yesterday, uh, Peters said that, she predicted there would be fewer programs uh, available, uh, that that prisons may enter more of a kind of lockdown status. And, you know, those are stressful. Uh, th- these are stressful environments and putting people in lockdown kind of adds to that. And, you know, it restricts their movements. A lot of these um, facilities were on a kind of lockdown status with restricted movement given the pandemic. And um, so that, you know, they would impose those sort of conditions, Um, you know, and and she said uh, that she she is concerned about safety and security uh, and keeping these places safe um, as, as they enter this kind of uncertain period. Okay, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk more with Noelle Crombie, who covers criminal justice issues for the Oregonian and Oregon Line. So, Noel, this whole situation seems pretty bad, but how does it compare to other state agencies in terms of vaccination rates? Um, the uh, the data that we got from the Department of Administrative Services shows that corrections is is sort of an out a bit of an outlier of sorts in terms of its low compliance rate. Um, again, the, these figures are are going to you know they're changing and they're they're you know, going to be up there updated sort of almost hourly. But the data snapshot we got midweek uh, showed a, a, you know, 40, about 46% of workers had entered their 
um, their information into the state's HR system, and then about 12% had asked for exceptions. Um, and, and then you look at other agencies, uh, you know, the Department of Transportation, for instance, had about 72% entering their information into the state system. The Employment Department was up in the 80s, uh, as was the Oregon Health Authority and Department of Justice. Yeah. And, and the Department of Transportation is, you know, one of those agencies that does have a footprint, you know, in other parts of the state. It's not fully concentrated in the metro area or, or Salem. So yeah, that's right. Um, okay, so um, the, the, these workers who who the corrections division workers are. Um, many of them are unionized or all of them are unionized? Yeah, they're represented by uh, two different unions, depending on, you know, the facility uh, where uh, where people work. And so so these collective bargaining groups have kind of flexed their muscles in other respects vis-a-vis uh, -vis the, the vaccine mandate and helped push the deadline back um, for compliance at the executive level, I believe. But um that hasn't occurred when it when it comes to the corrections folks, right? That's right. Um, the corrections staff is still operating under a Monday deadline, although uh, you know that's being negotiated, you know, and bargained at at you know as I speak. Do we know why why that is? Why you know the corrections division is holding holding strong, so to speak, on on that. I, I don't, but I can only assume it's because of the uh, kind of work that Corrections does and the contact that they have with a vulnerable population being you know, incarcerated people. Yeah. Um, you spoke with uh, some of the union representatives. Um, what did they have to say about this situation and the mandate and just kind of the overall lay of the land? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've spoken with um, with a couple of uh, union um sort of leadership in, in both unions. And, you know, I, I sensed pretty deep frustration um, and, uh, you know, a sense that the state is being inflexible. Um, one of the unions, you know, would like to see partially vaccinated workers, for instance, be able to work next week, uh, pr provided they're using um, PPE and adhering to social distancing uh, guidelines while, you know, eating and drinking. Um, they thought that was a, a good a sort of a, a intermediate step um, to get through, you know, the next month. Um, the president of the union that represents workers at the Oregon State Penitentiary in Salem um, said that, uh, you know, workers at the at the end of the day, workers see uh, this issue not as, you know, one, uh, not a indictment of the vaccine, but really um a uh it's about you know their choice uh, around decisions of what they do with their uh, health and bodies and um that you know, the president of the union said that people are frustrated that they're being told to do something um and the woman i spoke with uh elena martinez who's the president of the association of oregon corrections employees uh, she herself um I, you know i asked if she was vaccinated and she said no uh and that you know, she's been there 21 years as a corrections officer, and she mm -hmm. she still has not yet decided whether she will uh, get the vaccine. Uh, clearly, uh, putting her own job at risk. Um, she told me she's not an anti-vaxer. That this is really a question of a choice for her. Yeah, I have to say that kind of floored me reading her perspective, and and I guess I couldn't really escape as a reader the fact of you know um, their duties are really. Uh, 
to watch over people who who obviously they made a choice or were convicted of a crime and are incarcerated, but they don't have any. No, I was just the the dichotomy uh, between the you know the lack of choice of from the incarcerated people and and the lack of choice for the uh, the people responsible. I guess kind of hit me strangely. I guess as a reader. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's I've spoken with a, a lot of um, you know union representatives at, while reporting on this issue, and you know I heard something similar from uh, the union that represents uh, sworn employees and some non-sworn non-sworn employees at the Oregon State Police. You know, there's a sense of uh, people want their own. You know, they just want autonomy over their own decisions, and um, they don't want to be told that they have to get this. <laughs> Well, um, you know, what, 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 if anything, do you glean from, from this, uh, Noel, just, you know, this, like, as you said, the criminal justice system here in Oregon has been in flux. We've talked about all kinds of different things on this show, whether it's just how, you know, protesters are, are, um, prosecuted or not in, in the Portland area or, um, just mandatory minimums and the discussion there and, death row you came and talked about it i mean there's so many big issues being debated here and now we've got this i guess how do you compartmentalize or make sense of this as it fits into the broader you know uncertainties surrounding uh corrections yeah i mean i think this is a really you know really a, a fascinating issue because here you've got the state really drawing a very hard line on you know what it will and won't accept when it comes to um, its workers, and and as you say, we're looking at a, a really you know a, a vulnerable population in um, people who are in prison, and the state saying, um, look, if you're going to be entering these facilities and working in them, you're going to have to do take this step to maintain your employment, and I think it'll be really I think the thing that is going to be um, the thing to look out for, you know, is the state going to actually uh, follow through and, and and hold firm to this deadline? As you look at, you know, empty shifts, perhaps uh, at at prisons, um, people in these buildings have to be kept safe. Um, they have to be kept, uh, you know, safe from one another and and also just safe themselves. And that that's the whole mission of the prison system, um, really, at the end of the day, and to not have enough people there to ensure that sort of really key aspect of, of what the prison system does uh, really leaves it vulnerable. So I think, you know, it'll be a, a really interesting uh, and potentially troubling to watch this unfold next week. Yeah, and these, these workers obviously do not have the ability to work from home <laughs> their job no, although, uh, their duties they must be there no they but they will be a placed on administrative leave uh, according to the agency it's a paid leave so they are going to be sent home uh you know to do nothing basically at first while the agency conducts what it called a brief investigation that could lead to their termination people are putting a lot at risk with uh this decision um you know jobs that um uh, uh, that many of these folks have held for a really long time um, and built careers around uh, are, you know, potentially at risk next week. Well, is there anything else I should have asked you? I don't think so. I hope that was okay. Yeah, no, that was great. Thanks for doing it. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, thank you. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. 
I shared a link to Noel and my colleagues' coverage of the vaccine mandate in the episode notes. If you like this show, give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the show. And tell a friend. Help spread the word. The best way to support our journalism is through a subscription to Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.